0: So, uh, what did you guys think of that acoustic guitar player? I mean, I mean, Misty, she was struggling to find somebody to fill in and play guitar this week. Uh, so she asked me if I'd, you know, as a last resort, if I'd do it. I mean, she totally talk, called Tyler first to see if he could do it, but he, he wasn't available. That was a joke from last week, if you weren't here. It was also a test to see who remembers anything from week to week, but, you know. Hey, let's start off this way. Let me ask this question. Any of you ever experienced... Road rage. Road rage. Yeah. Actually, probably an easier way to ask this question is, have any of you ever experienced being in the drop-off line at school with my wife? Because (laughs) the answer is probably the same, if I'm being honest. But many of us, you know, we don't think... Maybe that we've been a victim of road rage because we only think of people stopping in traffic and getting out of the car and banging on our window or maybe smashing our windshield with a bat. Or That's what we think of with road rage. But there's actually a much broader definition that I, that I found this week. Here's what road rage actually is. It's aggressive or angry behavior exhibited by a driver. Behaviors include rude and offensive gestures. I'm sure, Maybe. Verbal insults, physical threats, or dangerous driving methods targeted towards another driver or a pedestrian, that's scary, in an effort to intimidate or release frustration. All of this really directed at strangers. Again, unless you're my wife, there was this one time she came home and she's like, Liz, who was singing over here, Liz, Holly, she comes home and she's like, ah, I think I need to call and apologize to Liz. Because apparently she was really demonstrative about being frustrated with a driver, only to find out it was Liz driving by. Like, hey, she should probably take that relevant sticker off the back of your car. <laughs> According to one study I read, actually, people, people who customize their cars with stickers and other adornments are more prone to road rage. Uh, who knew? So if you got bobbleheads or I've read the study, like even like seat covers or tailpipes, whatever. But if you got a bunch of stickers on that, in fact, I probably need to talk with John and Meg to see if our relevant stickers are part of the problem. But uh, but you're probably thinking, yeah, I, those Republicans, <laughs> all those stickers, those "Peel the Gun from My Cold Dead Hand" stickers, and you're, maybe you're thinking all those Democrats, those leftists, all those people, the vegans. I don't know what you're thinking, but really here here it's like. This is the other part of the study says this. It's, it's only the number of bumper stickers and not their content that predict road rage. That's really kind of a strange finding to me. Uh, while most of us, certainly a percentage of us, have experienced some sort of or been the perpetrator of some road rage, all of us have experienced some level of w- rage. I mean, we, we wouldn't call it rage. As a people, we're far too sophisticated, Right? We're we're far too mature. We're we're probably too good of a Christian to use the word rage. We we would just say I'm not, I don't have rage. I'm just I'm just frustrated. I'm just, I'm just so frustrated. And and frustration just feels it feels better. It feels nicer to say I'm just frustrated. But but frustration is this idea that there's something wrong. There's something wrong externally. It's outside of myself. There's something happening out there. And I'm just responding. I'm just responding. It, it's not me or it's not my fault. I, I'm simply responding to what's taking place externally outside of me. I'm certainly not the source. I'm just responding to something. And frustration's really just a softer, it's an easier way, it's a more comfortable way for us to say the emotion that we're actually going to tackle today. And you don't have to be a genius to figure it out, but we'll, we'll bring that up in just a bit. But before we get there, let me catch you up on where we've been. Is John was unable to remember, we are in week four of our series, You're Not the Boss of Me. And then in this series, we've been talking about so many different emotions. You know, we talked about guilt the, first, the second week and envy last week. We have talked about all these different things. But really, here's the idea. The, the big idea of what we're trying to achieve in this series is this. It's how to say no. Uh, how to say no. It's kind of a how-to series. We're trying to learn how to do this. How to say no to the emotions that compete for control of our lives. Jesus actually said it this way, and we've read this verse Over and over again each week, and Matthew, one of his disciples, recorded this for us, and this is what Jesus had to say. He said, This, but the things that come out of a person's mouth, uh, the things that we say to to the people that we love or the people that we're around, they come from the heart. Uh, And these are the things that actually defile them. These are the things that actually put them at odds with God. And for out of the heart, out of the heart, out of from what's actually inside of us, come evil evil thoughts. Evil thoughts of murder and adultery and sexual immorality and so on and so forth. And you might be thinking to yourself, that's not me. Like, I, don't, I don't have thoughts of murder. Uh, I don't have thoughts of all these terrible things like he's been right there. Well, thankfully, Mark, one of his other disciples, he continues the list a little bit. And he talks about greed and malice and folly, which is really just poor decisions. That might, that might fit you a little bit better. But in this series, we're learning how to monitor our hearts. We're learning how to monitor what's actually going on inside of us. Because what's inside of us eventually comes out of us. See, when our emotions take control, things in our life they just they get out of control. They get in the way. These emotions they're constantly getting in the way, and and we've said this a couple weeks too. They they constantly throw us off balance. Whether it's guilt or it's envy or insecurity or fear like we're going to talk about next week, it's these emotions that, that set us off balance. And we, we kind of walk around through life with a limp and we parent out of guilt or we parent out of shame or, or we, we love our spouse or we treat our spouse out of the envy and the fear and the guilt that we have. And so our emotions, they get us so out of balance. The emotion that we're talking about today that gets us out of balance in our lives is, well, as you probably know, is Anger. Here's something I know about you because I know this about myself. This anger idea, this, is, this isn't a religious thing. It's not a church goer thing. It's not a Christian thing. It's, it's, a, it's a human thing. And, and nobody, in, in this scenario, you're a nobody. I'm a nobody. Nobody wants anger to be the boss of them. Nobody wants anger to be the boss of them and have control of them. Nobody wants anger to be the boss Of you, the people that are around you do not want anger to be the boss of you, and you don't want anger to be the boss of the people that are around you either. We've all seen that. We've all been on the receiving side of someone else's anger, rage, or frustration. And and when we're talking about anger today, we're not just talking about this idea of extroverted anger. Extroverted anger—this idea of people who are loud and boisterous and they're yellers and they flip off the handle and people who lose their temper. You actually may be more like me. I, I don't really lose my temper. I, don't, I rarely raise my voice. I, I don't flip out that much. But if you're like me, you're, you're probably still scary. Like your tone might be scarier. Your face, it might be scary. Apparently my face is scary a lot of the times, even when I don't mean it. And I need, I need one of these shirts. Maybe you need one of these shirts too. It just says, I'm not angry, this is just my face. I'm actually trying to see how many times I can Photoshop my picture on different things throughout this series. But... <laughs> this actually isn't even really true. This, this isn't necessarily true for me. It may not be for you. My face, at times, I may not be angry, but, but my face is telling everybody around me what's actually going on. And my, I may not be extroverted in my anger. I may not be yelling and screaming, but, but my tone in my face makes it pretty clear what's actually going on inside of me. Maybe for you, maybe your silence Maybe your silence is just deafening. Maybe your moodiness. Maybe it's the up and down of your mood constantly. Maybe the people around you know that that's, that's really what's coming out from what's inside of you. Maybe your pride causes that in you. Maybe you pride yourself on the fact that you're not extroverted. Maybe you say, hey, it's not, I'm not the one yelling all the time. I'm not the one screaming all the time. That's you. But you introvert your anger. Uh, pretending that just because you don't scream out loud that it's not having the impact on the people around you that it probably and actually is. And so whether you, you shove it down and you're introverted or whether you, you shout it out and you shut people out, it's just so true that, that anger is such a terrible boss of you. But there is an exemption, an exemption a kind of an exception, if you will. That there's probably a better way to say this, but this is what I thought of for this for this week, we're, we're going to call it crusader anger, crusader anger. It, it's this type of anger that stirs people, that stirs people who have such a deep heart-level care for something that's taking place. They, they, this, it's almost like an anger, kind of like a righteous anger that, that this crusader anger, it fights against all kinds of evil and injustice in the world. And, and this type of anger, it has led to so many great changes throughout civilization and history. The civil rights movement, women's rights movement, rights uh, movement getting women and children out of the sex trade, child labor laws. They can go on and on and on. But this kind of righteous crusader type of anger that that compels you to go out and actually do something in the world, that's a different type of anger. But crusader anger stands against and in contrast to the anger that we're actually going to be talking about today. Crusader anger, it reflects this idea that what others aren't getting that they deserve You're angry because others aren't getting something that they deserve. And all over the world throughout history, there have been men and women who finally got so fed up with something. They got so fed up with it, they finally stepped out. They were compelled to do something and bring about change. This is kind of that crusader, that righteous anger. But and this is is where we're going to swing back to most of us, right? I don't see most of us going out and making massive change in the world because we're so angry. Uh, This is... This is more where our anger comes from. I'm not getting what I deserve. I'm not getting what I deserve. And so there's this parallel. Actually, there's probably this great deviation probably of these two different ideas. One is constructive. It's extremely constructive. It brings about real societal change and and things really take place because, because of it. And then there's this extraordinarily destructive side to anger. And, and thankfully, James, he, James is actually the, the, the younger brother of Jesus, which is just a crazy idea in itself. I, I love it. He has a lot to say about this. James was actually, uh, in the first century, he was kind of the leader. You would probably just call him the pastor of the, the church, the, the gathering of Christ followers within Jerusalem. Uh, James lived an awesome life. And we actually, we think that this book was probably written in 44 AD, which that should probably blow your mind a little bit, right? Like just a few years after the death and resurrection of Jesus, we believe this book was written. And then James was martyred. He was stoned in 62 AD. (laughs) James, the younger brother of Jesus, was stoned to death because he believed his brother was his Lord. Like that that should be mind-boggling to you. And one of the things I love about this, you may not care and I probably don't have time, but I'm going to say it anyway. But one of the things that I love about this is James' death wasn't recorded in the book of Acts, wasn't recorded in Scripture. We find out through extra-biblical writing when James was actually martyred. The cool thing about that is since his death wasn't recorded in Acts, that means Acts was written before 62 A.D. And everybody believes that Luke was written before Acts. That means before 62 A.D., the gospel of Luke was making its way around Judea and the areas around there, which means there were tons tons of eyewitnesses to the resurrection still alive reading the stories that Luke was writing about Jesus and what he had done. So if you've ever heard in college or grad school or from your buddy at the office who thinks he knows everything that, that all these documents, they were written hundreds and thousands of years later, they couldn't, they couldn't possibly be true. It's just not true. Like there's no evidence for that. In fact, there's tons of evidence to the contrary and that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about today. So... James is actually writing this letter to followers of Jesus, primarily Jewish followers of Jesus. And, and it, this book is full of wisdom. It happens to be my favorite book. I have two different tattoos that are references from the book of James. I, I love this book. And we find this letter in the New Testament. The New Testament, if, if you're not clear, is the second half of our Bible. It's the stories about Jesus. It's, it's four eyewitness accounts, or well, three eyewitness accounts, and then Luke's account of Jesus' life. And then the letters that were written to the church about how to live life like Jesus and how to live for Jesus, that's our New Testament. That's where we find this book. And there are two New Testament principles today that I want to take a look at. Uh, and James actually gives us one of them. That these, these principles are just so stinking extraordinary. That, that if people, if you, if, if, if I, if we can get our minds around this idea, if we can get our hearts around these two ideas, they have the power to change everything. Uh, that's not hyperbole. I, I don't believe it's hyperbole. I think it has the power to change everything in your life and especially your relationships. It's going to be a little offensive. Uh, maybe, maybe you're going to want to push back a little bit and say, man, I don't, just, I don't think it's that easy. But I'm telling you, if, if, you if, we, if, if whatever age you are, young, old, anywhere in between, whatever relationship you might have, a spouse, a, hus- a husband, a wife, a mother, a father, a roommate, a friend, whatever relationships you have, if you will embrace this principle that James gives us, it will do more To keep anger from becoming the boss of you, it will do more to keep anger from being destructive in your relationship than anything else you can do. And I, I promise you that. Here's what James has to say. I'm gonna sit down after all that guitar playing and stuff. James asks in this question. He asks two questions. We're gonna look at both of them, and he starts this way. He says, "Who is wise and understanding amongst you?" So you've got to remember, this is a letter. So this is a letter, he, he probably wrote it, or he spoke it to a scribe, and they wrote multiple copies of it, and they sent it out to the church across Judea and the surrounding areas, and then groups and followers of Jesus, they would come together and they would read this. And so he's, he's asking them a question. Now, it's kind of a rhetorical question. He doesn't want anybody to raise their hand. You're going to find out why in just a second. And he says a wise person, a wise person has insight. Well, wise people understand that life is connected, that, that they understand that what... What was from the past, it impacts the future. And what's happening today, it impacts the future. And that what's going on now, it's going gonna, it's gonna to continue to show up. He, he's showing that life is connected. And, and so James says, okay, who, do, who, who in here thinks that they're wise? Do you think that you're insightful? Do you, do you think you know how to keep things in perspective? He says, if so, I, w- I want to challenge you with something. Show me. Let them show it by their good deeds, by deeds done in the humility that comes from that wisdom. You see, wise people, wise people are humble. Uh, wisdom leads to humility. Ar- arrogance just doesn't make any sense, in all honesty. If you think, if you kind of run that out to its natural end, arrogance makes no sense at all. Have you ever met a wise, arrogant person? Or have you met an arrogant person and spent enough time with them to find out they're wise? I, I haven't. To me, and, and to James, James is saying if you're wise, I should see it. It should play itself out in our interactions and the way that we work together. Your wisdom is made visible to me through your humility. Humility is extremely powerful, but it's not natural. It's not natural to you. It's not natural to me. What is natural, James explains, is if you harbor. If You guys know what a harbor is. so like, It's, it's just saying if you allow things to dock, to take up residence, to, to connect in, to settle down in, if you, if you allow things to harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts if you allow these things in it's going to be a problem for you and then what he says next kind of strange language but it ends up making sense he says if you do that if you harbor these things do not boast about it or deny the truth if if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition and you end up making the world all about you <laughs> making the world all about you is not wise by the way Making the world all about you doesn't even make any sense. I mean, don't you know that at some point in history, you're going to cease to exist and only a few people on the entire earth will notice. Like, how could you think that the world is all about you? Wisdom comes from humility. James is saying, if you're stuck there, if you allow that stuff to harbor, to, to dock, to take up residence, to settle down in your heart, it becomes a filter through which you live through how you talk, through how you parent, through how, how you do marriage. He said, you're just denying the truth. And then he tells us, you know, what we kind of already know. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, when it's internal, when it's rooted in your heart, there, inside, this is where you find disorder and every evil practice. When arrogance gets lodged in your heart, there's going to be disorder. There's going to be evil practices and thoughts. When what's going on inside of you, it's going, it's going to come outside of you. It's, it's going to come out of you. What's inside of us, is coming for us. And it's not just coming for us, it's coming for those around us. James goes on to make a couple more points of, about wisdom and how it plays out in our lives. But then, then he kind of pauses. He pauses, and it's almost like he realizes I should probably make my point, right? I should probably get to it. And all those verses before, what we just read, those those are laying the groundwork, kind of the foundation for what he's about to say next. And now he's about to tell us. He's about to give us a principle that that will help keep anger from becoming the boss of us. And he's going to do that with with the second question I mentioned he had two. This is the second one. Pretty straightforward. He says, what causes fights? What causes fights? It seems like a simple question. James would say, if you have wisdom, you'll have humility. and Humility leads to more wisdom and understanding about how the world works. And if you allow bitter envy and selfish ambition to lodge in your heart, then there's going to be disorder and fights. If you don't believe me, then think about this. Where where does that hostility come from? Where do fights come from? And where do the fights and the quarrels among you come from? Our response is, no, James. Hey. You got it wrong. You got the question wrong. James, it probably wasn't your fault. Maybe it was a typo. Maybe it was a translation issue. It's not what causes problems. It's who causes problems. Like I understand after, you know, writing this out so many times, you probably got it's it's not what, it's who. And I'll tell you who? It's my mom. <laughs> it's my mom. She won't leave me alone. I'm 45 years old. I can live my own life, mom. It, it's my it's my husband. Like, have you ever talked with him? Have you ever heard him come home from work? It's my He's the who that causes the problem. It's my middle school daughter. Have you ever had a middle school daughter? Then you would know that is who causes problems. And James, James is pretty clear. He's like, ah, that's, see, there's the problem. There's a problem. It's not a who. It's a what. And as long as you think it's a who, you're, you're never going to deal with the what. You're never going to get to the bottom of the what. And so he tells us, isn't it it that they come from your own desires? Isn't it that it comes from what you want? Isn't it because you're not getting what you want? Isn't isn't it what comes from your desires? Isn't that what battles within you? (laughs) No, not me. Maybe you. You've never met my boss. I mean, you guys have met my boss. <laughs> I mean, you, you've never met my wife. I mean, if, if, you, if only you spent time with my husband, or if you, if you had to spend an evening at my house with my roommate, then you'd understand. They don't come from me. The, the reason I struggle is because of her inability. I struggle because of his unwillingness and his selfishness, and they're just incapable. They're completely incapable of seeing things well, of seeing things my way, and James is saying, as long as you think the source is out there, as long as you think the source is external and away from you, you're never going to deal with it on the inside. And this is life-changing insight. This is life cha- This is relationship-changing insight. If both parties, if both parties could begin to embrace. This principle, this idea, anger will never be able to become the boss of you. I'll say it in a less cheesy way from our, than our title. Anger will not have control over your relationships. Anger can no longer control your marriage. The, let's read this again. i got to read this. Don't they come from your desires? Don't they come from what you want? and don't they, don't they battle within you already? The answer is yes. They do every single time because the reason we fight, the, the reason we quarrel, the, the conflict is because there's something that we want that we're not getting. I, I want respect. I want respect and I'm not getting it. All, all I ever asked you to do was clean your stinking room. That's all I want. I, all I've ever wanted is that when I come home from work, can you just have some food ready? That's all I've ever asked. And, and I know how you, you're going to respond. It's fine. I've responded this way too. But I've earned it. <laughs> I've earned it. Look at all, the, look at all that I've done. I, I've earned it. And that's, you're right. You're right. And all you want is for you to get what you've earned, right? Yeah, that's what I want. So you're not getting what you want, right? But but They promised. They promised, and they didn't come through, and you're right, man. I get it. They promised, and all you've ever wanted was for them to come through on their promises, right? Yeah, that's right. That's all I've ever wanted. That's all. But that just just isn't fair. It just isn't fair. Like, they said they would do it. They didn't do it. And over and over again, I'm the one left to try and be the bigger person. It's just not fair, and I get it. You're right. It's, It's just not fair. And all we ever want, all you want is to get what's fair, right? And so you're not getting... You're not getting what you want. You wanted to be treated fairly, and you weren't. You weren't getting what you want. And if you can pause long enough in the moment, if you can pause long enough in the moment when the anger is beginning to rise up inside you, when anger begins to grab control, when anger for at least a moment becomes the boss of you, to acknowledge and recognize this, to recognize that part of the problem well, it's me. It's liberating. It's it's relationship changing. And James goes on just a little bit more. And he says this. And it, it might feel like hyperbole, but maybe not. You desire, but do not have, and so you kill. His point is really this: is if we don't recognize, if we don't recognize that the source of our anger is actually inside of us, you can disagree. That's fine. but but that the source of our anger is actually inside of us, not outside of us, then we have the potential to take things to an unhealthy level. We have inside of us the potential to take things to destructive extremes. As long as you think it's him, as long as you're constantly putting it all on her or them, and, and since you can't control them, you feel like you have an excuse to not control yourself. And James is saying, no, heads up, like... Heads up, everybody, all of you people who are wise and understanding, that's inside of you. Uh, To think for a moment that you don't have it in you to do something unhealthy or scary to another person to get what you want, don't deceive yourself. Don't deceive yourself. Be humble enough to recognize, oh, my God, that actually, that's actually in there. And if you let it, if you let it and you don't recognize it, it it can grab a hold. It can grab a hold and in just a moment's time it's, it's now the boss of you and it's controlling you. And then James wraps up with this final statement. He says this, you covet but cannot get what you want. You covet but cannot get what you want and so you quarrel and you fight. The source of our anger is not out there. It's in here. We aren't getting our way. We, we aren't getting what we want. I want what I deserve. I, I want what I was promised. Should, should you ever be upset, though? Like, I don't want you to hear something I'm not saying. Because I'm not, I'm not saying you should never be upset. Uh, certainly there are times in life where, where circumstances come in and you're going to be upset. And kids, by the way, just so you know, like, I'm not getting you off the hook here, right? Like, so if you come home late from curfew, your parents have the right to be upset, But it's what we do with that. What what do we do in the midst of that situation? When we're in the midst of that argument, wise and understanding people, they'll they'll pause. They'll pause and they'll realize part of the problem, part of the problem, uh, the source of the problem is I'm not getting what I want. And, And just to play out that little curfew scenario just a little bit more, sure, your parents wanted you home on time. But really what they want is the fact that you would respect what, what they ask you to do, that you would show respect to them. And so in that moment, if they can recognize, hey, that's what I really want. Like the anger level can drop. The punishment level can go up. I don't know, whatever, <laughs> just whatever works out. But that's the way it works. In the moment, if you, can just, if you can just pause. When you own your own slice of the argument pie, it, be, it brings the temperature way down. So to do that, I have a suggestion for you, something that I think is super practical. We're actually giving you something you can take with you today and actually use today. This is going to seem a bit odd. Uh, You may have heard this before, and if you're a married couple, or if you're in a serious relationship, or if you're with a roommate, or you have a best friend, or if you have any relationship at all, I'm telling you, any two people, any two people who embrace this idea, and certainly you could do it on your own, but man, if two people embrace this idea, it has the power to radically change the way you deal with conflict, When you're in the middle of a conflict, in the middle of an argument, and you've allowed anger for just a moment to become the boss of you, and you're just fighting and you're going, you can feel it. You realize for the moment, hey, you know what? You know what the problem is? Do you know what part of the problem is, don't you? Well, the problem is, I'm not getting what I want. There is no comeback to that. If you want to win an argument, there you go. Just admit for a moment, hey, you know what the problem is? I, I'm i not getting something that I want. And so I'm going to take a moment and I'm going to clear my head and we're going to come back to this. Can you imagine what that could do to the temperature in your home? Even if you just do this under your breath. What this does is basically, it's basically your way of saying, hey, this may be unfair. This may be unfair. This could totally be unjust. They broke a promise. They said they would and they didn't. Uh, but... But anger, you're not going to be the boss of me. I'm a person of wisdom. I'm a person of understanding. I'm not arrogant. I'm not letting any ships kind of dock or harbor of envy and bitterness inside of me. So I'm going to own my slice of the pie. Anger, you're not going to be the boss of me. We've been doing this. We've been doing this. We're going to do it again. You're not going to want to play, but you should play. We're going to say this together. We skipped last week, so I gave you a week off. Here we go. Ready? Here we go. You know what part of the problem is, don't you? I'm not gonna what I want. We'll try that again. Here we go. We're gonna do the whole thing. You know what part ready? Here we go. You know what part of the problem is, don't you? This is tough. Like this is the this is the part that I think there's probably people out there just folding their arms. You don't you don't know. You you, you don't know what goes on. You've never been in my home. You've never come to my job. This is tough. And I'm not trying to get you to own the whole thing. I'm not trying for you to say, like, you created the whole problem. You're not the whole problem. You're you're part of the problem. And most of the times, a much bigger part of the problem than we're really wanting to own. And here's the deal. It's the only part of the problem that we have control over. It's the, only part that we have, it's the only part that we have a choice over. I, I got a little story to tell, and I think I got time. You got time for a story? Okay. Um, I don't know why I sit on the chair when I'm telling a story. <laughs> Whatever. Let's one. So the, kind of the way this situation has played out the most in my life, uh, I, I started to think through, like, how can I share you know, be a little bit vulnerable with how anger has impacted my life. And the first story that came to my mind is, uh, if, you've, if you've heard me preach over the years, you, you know I have a son named Caleb. He's 22 years old, and, and we've kind of had a lot of struggles over the years. Um, Caleb, I, I want to say that Caleb has been the source of my greatest anger over the few years recently, but I can't because of what I just said. Um, but I, I'm telling you, I'm going to be pretty honest with some stuff like there has been a period of time that he's been living at home with us again. Um, And he didn't go to college. He didn't do any of that, which is totally fine. Uh, He's been living at home trying to find a better job. And there have been times when when I will drive home from work for lunch, and if I see his car parked in front of my house, I walk in the house with so much anger. Because I know he's going to be asleep. And I I know it sounds like a joke, but it could be 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and, oh, kids sleep late, I get it. But here's the deal, like, it just would create something inside of me that I can't even adequately describe in the few minutes that I have. It would set me off for hours, probably for the rest of the day. Uh, and, and I began to realize something a few years ago and have not been implementing it very well in my life recently. And that this principle became very true for me in the fact that for Caleb, he's my firstborn son. And I had things that I wanted. I wanted some things out of my firstborn son. Like, I, I didn't care if my, I don't care if any of my kids go to college, but I want them to have ambition. Like, I wanted Caleb to have ambition. And I, I wanted Caleb to have drive. Like, I kind of wanted him to be a good athlete. I kind of wanted him to be more like me and, and not the complete opposite of me. And if you're picking up on it, he's none of these things. He's none of these things. He He likes video games and pop figures and things that I don't even like whatever I just so much that I don't understand and and he likes to sleep all day and he doesn't work very hard and and he's 22 right like but he's such a good kid he's such a good kid I've never once had to pick him up from jail uh he's never come he's I'm, I'm serious like really if you if you think about like the hierarchy of like terrible kids like I mean I like He's never come home strung out. He's never come home drunk. I've never had drug problems with him. He's never had girl problems. He's never had any problems. He's been home on, in time for care for you growing up. Like, I, he is a good kid. But all these other things that I wanted and didn't get. And here's where i got to be extremely real. This is probably the point of the message where you're like, I don't think he should be up there. And I would agree. <laughs> what I realized this week. What I realized this week, and this is really hard for me, it was far less that I didn't get what I wanted from him. But because he wasn't what I wanted, I began to realize that what I wanted was for people to reflect on me what he was like. I wanted to be seen as the type of father who raised a kid with ambition. I wanted to be seen as the type of father who could teach a kid how to be a great athlete. I wanted to be seen as the type of father who could get his kid to love Jesus. And he doesn't. That's what I wanted. That's what I wanted. And that's why I get angry. And this week, man, just the, the weight of that is so heavy. It's so heavy, it's like, man, what a disgusting human being that, that I get angry at a good kid. Because people don't look at me the way I want them to look at me. That was the root. The root was so much deeper than I thought. That's what's really going on inside of me. That's what causes anger towards my son. I don't have a great, here's how this all plays out in my life story. Because I just found out. Like I just identified something disgusting inside of me. And I got to work through that. But it does lead me to this question for you. What's your relationship with anger? What's your relationship with anger? Do, do you let it boss you around? Does anger get control of your mood and of your mouth? And really the biggest question is, are you ready to put an end to that? If I was to ask your spouse or your best friend or your coworker or your roommate, what, what's his or her relationship with anger, what would they say? Do you, like me, are, like me, do you allow it to be the boss of you in one particular relationship? Like, is there one relationship you can identify that, hey, it has control over me. I can feel it. It has control over me. And it's just in this relationship. But if I don't do something, do you allow it to be the boss of you with certain kinds of people? You know, those type of people. Do you, do you find anger in that? Or just specific environments. Hey, you're, you, you look like a saint at work, right? Your your boss thinks you're the best thing on earth, but you go home. Like, is it a specific environment where it has control of you? Are you ready to put an end to that? Well, to do that, you'll, you'll have to do something. You'll have to humble yourself and face a very difficult fact that a part of the problem, a very big part of the problem, and it's just rising up inside of you, is that you're not getting what you want. When you feel it, though, we can all do this today. Like, we don't have to mourn over this. We don't have to have shame over this. We can change everything in this moment. Because when you feel that rising up today, you know what you can say? You say, anger, I see you. I'm on to you. I I know what you're trying to do. I'm not going to let you do it. I'm not going to let you be the boss of me. But part of the problem, I get it, part of the problem is I'm not getting what I want. I'm going to own my piece of the pie. I'm going to own it. And you're not going to be the boss of me. Plus, if you're a follower of Jesus, you already have a boss of you. And if if you read scripture enough, he's he's a boss that didn't get everything he wanted either. You have a boss who said no to everything that he deserved. He deserved everything. And he said no to everything for nothing. And he did it for you. You're gonna have a, a, an opportunity, and I believe, this is my guess, within the next 12 hours. I don't know, maybe the next hour, right? Where something's gonna well up. You're gonna be on the way home, you're gonna try to figure out where you wanna eat, you're gonna realize you don't have any money, so you're gonna go home and don't have any food, and it's just gonna kind of build up, and you're gonna be in this moment, maybe that's just me, sorry, I don't that's what happens to me. <laughs> you're gonna be in this moment, and, it's gonna, and, and you're gonna see, like, I can feel it. And you're in conflict with your spouse, and married couples, this is just the easiest way for me to think. But you're in conflict with your spouse, and it wells up, and somebody has to go first. The more mature person will go first, right? The more humble. You can win by going first. And so somebody has to go first. So be the one. Be the one. And, man, let me just tell you, too. Like, man, I'll just speak to you. The biggest reason we don't go first is because of pride. The biggest reason I don't go first is because of pride. And I believe the same for you. And, and man, if, you, if you've been on this earth long enough, you know pride, nothing good comes out of it. So be the one. Be the one to go first and say, hey, I know, I know what part of the problem is. I know that part of the problem is ultimately I'm not getting what I want. Let me pray for us. God, I pray that this truth, that this principle, that it would just enter our hearts or we don't have to remember the exact words, we don't have to remember word for word when we walk out of here what to say, but the principle, the idea of sitting in a conflict or being in an argument or, or feeling frustration or anger towards somebody else, the idea of saying, hey, you know what, I, I think there's probably something inside of me. God, I believe that can change everything. So God, I pray that throughout the next few days, throughout the, the weeks ahead, that, that we get to hear stories of relationships mended and and temperatures in homes going down because enough people have said that they understand. That they're going to own their piece of the pie. That they come into each relationship with humility. God, we love you. We pray that you would help us know how to live more like you and for you in this world. We pray all things in your name. Amen.